Well, good evening. Oh man, some of you are ready. Uh, my name is Marco. I serve as the, the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you so much for worshiping alongside us this evening, this Christmas Eve. Uh, man, I just have one thing for you. Uh, we're going to find ourselves in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at one verse, that is verse 14. So if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it or load it. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles available for you. That is our Christmas gift to you. And if you know those who would benefit from having one, please take one on the way out. Uh, if it's all right with you, I'd love to just dive into our time tonight. Christmas Eve is a big deal. It is a cultural value here in the valley. In fact, if you are a valley native, you ought to be celebrating Christmas tonight, <laughs> right? Tomorrow's just the day off, okay? Christmas Eve serves as the day where we pull out all of the bells and all of the whistles. We have all of the best food. All of our friends and our family gather in our homes or us in theirs, and yet no one was invited, but we're still there just by the balloons on the mailbox or the lights that are on or the Norteño music playing on in the backyard. The best drinks come to the front, and the greatest memories are made on Christmas Eve here in the valley. I want you to enjoy tonight, but because we're all here together, I also want to challenge you. You see, the celebration of Christmas isn't only the gatherings and the festivities. It isn't necessarily, though it is significant, the, the birth of a baby. It is the fact that God became man. Theologically speaking, we call this the incarnation, that is, the coming in the flesh, that God entered human history as the man, Jesus Christ. Tonight, I wish to walk you through seven promises of God in Christ. These are several promises that God makes to you and I as a result of him becoming flesh. And so as again, if you have your Bible with you, we're gonna be in John chapter one, verse 14. And so this is what John writes. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and of truth. Let me pray, and then we'll walk through these promises. God, we worship you, and uh, I think it would be an understatement to say thank you. This evening, we get to freely worship you. We get to reflect on the past year, uh, but it's still not over. And so in this time, I pray that you would just meet us where we are in spite of the gatherings and the festivities and the plans and the barbecues and the family and the headaches and the frustrations, God, I pray that you would just meet us where we are tonight and that you would make yourself known through your word. Holy Spirit, would you please be present among us this evening at work in us? God, again, we thank you for this uh, opportunity to worship you through song and the preached word. God, would you be glorified in this time tonight? 
We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to walk you through seven promises. If you're new, I love lists because it kind of makes it easy. And so we're going to draw these seven promises from John chapter 1, verse 14. And to be honest, we are going to be looking specifically at where John writes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So here is promise number one. Because God became man, here is promise number one. It derives exactly from the text, and it is that he dwelled among us. Now, this is incredibly significant because it is one of many things that sets Jesus apart from other religions. That is that God came into our world and dwelled among us, lived and experienced the mundane, the ordinary, lived and experienced hardship like you and I, lived and experienced family just like you and I do. As a result, this teaches us, this promise teaches us that God is not removed from us, but that he entered into our history. As a result, worship is not a place but Christ himself. The encouragement that you and I have from that is that this makes God accessible, that we don't need to bring sacrifice, only a broken spirit and a humbled heart to have access to God as a result of him becoming flesh. Promise number two, we're gonna, we're gonna go through these. Promise number two, he knows our weakness. I wanna turn you to Hebrews four briefly. This is verse 15, the writer says, for we do not have a high priest, that is Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's what I want you to know in light of him knowing our weakness, that Jesus can and does sympathize with us. That he shares our hardship, he understands uh, our hardship, he understands what is going on. He meets us where we are. He meets us where we are because he has walked in our shoes. Now, I want to park right there for a minute. See, him walking in our shoes tells me a couple of things. I hope it tells you. One of the things that it ought to tell us is that this is another thing that separates Jesus from other religions, that he can sympathize because he has walked in our shoes. It is that God came down from heaven and dwelt among us, walking in our shoes, living the life that you and I cannot live, dying the death that you and I deserve to die and freely offering us a grace that you and I cannot earn. That's number one. The second part of that, the second part of that is when we hear that he meets us where we're at, when we hear that he walks in our shoes, as Christians, I think we are tempted to say or believe, well, yeah, that's easy for him to do. He could just flip the God switch on and he wouldn't necessarily struggle with sin. However, that is not what the author of Hebrews tells us. He goes on to say, but one that is Christ who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Check it. He knows, that is, Jesus knows temptation to a degree that is beyond you and I. 
Everyone in this room experiences temptation. Every one of us experiences temptation. And temptation normally flees when we give in, temporarily. However, Jesus never gave in to the weight and pressure of sin. That means he led or he lived with a degree of temptation that you and I will never experience, will never know. You and I really don't know temptation. But Jesus does and is without sin and sympathizes with us and meets us where we are. He knows our weakness. And he doesn't pity you. He doesn't belittle you. Instead, he meets you where you are and sympathizes with you. Number three, the third promise is that he came to reconcile. God entering into human history as Jesus wasn't only for teaching and praying purposes, although if we're honest, that would have been sufficient. That would have been enough. However, the primary mission of Jesus was to reconcile man to God. That means that apart from redemption in Christ, we are all separated from God, we are estranged from God, and we are at war with God. Jesus entering into human history and going and dying on the cross removes the fence of separation that removes the fence of separation between God and man and restores us. He restores us, which means Jesus is our only mediator. He is the only one that can bat for you and I because he lived the sinless life. He entered into our mess, took on our responsibility, was perfectly obedient when you and I have been disobedient, called it his own, took ownership of it, and then gives you and I access to the Father through his obedience and his righteousness, not through ours. We just get to come along for the ride as a means of his grace. The beauty of this, of him reconciling God to man, is that this beauty, this truth, this gospel is for anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Christ. He is prepared to pardon any sinner. There is great security, hear me on this, there is great security in confession because Jesus is faithful to forgive and cleanse you of unrighteousness. Promise number four. He gives us the hope of the Holy Spirit. On Sundays, we have been walking through this series uh, titled The Holy Spirit, and uh, we just get to kind of uh, echo a couple of things, and so he gives us the hope of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus' life and ministry here on earth was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he was also raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. Why does that matter for you and I? It matters because the resurrection of Jesus brings us the hope of the Holy Spirit. Apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. And as a result of Christ alive and well 
And in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, we get the hope of the Holy Spirit, that he would and does regenerate dead hearts so that we would know God, so that we would worship God, so that we would walk in his footsteps. Because the word became flesh, we have the hope of the Holy Spirit. Promise number five. Because the word became flesh, he that is Christ reveals the grace of God. We gotta define grace for a moment. Grace is unmerited. Say it one more time. Grace is unmerited favor from God toward sinners. Interestingly enough, Jesus said that he came to save sinners. You see, the grace of God is measured in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. I want you to turn briefly to Titus 3. This is what the Apostle Paul addresses to his spiritual son, Titus. This is what he tells him. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared, that verse alone, he is talking about Jesus. The grace of God revealed is Jesus entering into human history. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by, in, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Why did Jesus save sinners? Because he's a merciful God. Because he is a merciful God. He is a saving God. He is a gracious God. It wasn't because you and I are awesome, because we're not. It wasn't because you and I are super religious. It's not because you and I hang out at Bible studies or MCs or community groups. It's not because you and I have scheduled quiet time. It's not because you and I do good things. It is solely according to his mercy that he has saved us. And he continues by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Salvation has implication. Salvation has implication, and what makes that implication possible is the grace of God. It is that sinners receive grace. So what's the implication? We are spiritually made alive in Christ. Our hearts are renewed. Our minds are renewed. Things change in our life as a result of what God has done for us in Christ. Promise number six. Because the word became flesh, he provides certainty. Certainty demands dependence. And God has made himself known through his word, through Christ entering into human history, and through his imperfect bride, the church. Paul in Ephesians 3 says that God chooses to reveal himself and makes himself known through the church. I guess an easier way of saying it is, Tonight, as we celebrate Christmas, you're being watched. You're being watched. Because friends and family are gonna come over, 
And I get it, man. Everybody wants to party. We're all going to be laughing. We're going to be enjoying some time. And God himself desires to make himself known through the church. Not through the building, through the church. Not through programs, through the church. Not through the best philosophy, through the church. You are the church. And you're not just the church on Sunday morning and on a special occasion like Christmas Eve. This is called the old church winery. This is not the church. This is a building that was uh, bought out by the Chamber of Commerce. All right? So as we leave here, we leave as the church. Certainty demands dependence. And number seven, because the word became flesh, he calls us to worship him. He bids our worship. Because of everything that I just walked through, all the other six promises, when we respond to Christ in faith, in worship and obedience, we are walking in his ways. We are pursuing the life he lays out for us. And we do that not to show how religious we are, not to earn his favor or to earn his love, but as a result of our overflow of worship. Like, hear me on this tonight. Obedience is worship. Obedience is worship. It is a response of what God has done for us in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, your heart has been renewed. Your mind has been renewed. Who you are and what you do is directly tied to and connected to what God has done for you in Christ. We say it this way. Your identity determines your activity. So church, Christmas is, I should say this way, Christmas Eve, right? Because we're in the valley. Christmas Eve is significant. And it's not significant, though it's awesome, but it's not significant because of the gatherings or the festivities or the memories that we're gonna make or how much we're gonna laugh at one another. It is significant because God became man and entered into our history as Jesus Christ. This changes everything. It changes everything because if we belong to Jesus, then these promises, these seven promises, shape how we live, particularly tonight. So, if you belong to Jesus, man, let me just encourage you with one or two things, or three, I don't know. Let me just encourage you with a couple of things. Don't waste tonight. Do not waste tonight. In, in a moment, we are going to respond to our time together through the Lord's Supper. We're going to respond um, in prayer. We're gonna respond by singing songs. Use that time to reflect on what God has done for you in Christ. So please don't waste tonight. 
And if there is sin that you're wrestling with and struggling with, let me encourage you to confess and repent of your sin tonight, to return to the Lord, trust in him. And if you don't know Jesus and you're hanging out with us tonight, number one, thank you. I love that you're here, no joke. Love that you're here. Let me encourage you with a couple of things. Don't wait until Monday to wrestle with this. Don't wait until the new year to wrestle with redemption. Let me just encourage you to to wrestle with it, reflect upon it right now. If you're like me, I love starting things on Monday. I don't know about, I actually like Mondays just because it's the start of something. Many of you are similar in the sense of like, Monday is a good start over day. Like, I'm preaching to the choir, that's a lie that we love to embrace. Reflect and wrestle with the word becoming flesh now. Right now. What would it take for you to know him tonight? So let me just encourage you to wrestle with the word becoming flesh, to reflect with what that means for you. These promises have been fulfilled because he became flesh, not because he's gonna. And so Jesus invites you to come to know him. I want us to celebrate tonight, but more importantly, I do not want us to forget the promises of God in Christ for us. Who you are, is a result of what God has done for you in Christ. What you believe shapes how you live. Let us place our faith and our trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Let's pray. God, Christmas Eve is, is, a, is a big deal down here. It's a big deal because, uh, as I mentioned, this is where all the parties happen, this is where all the family happens, and, and what's trippy is we hardly invite any of these people, and everybody just shows up at our house. And so, Lord, praise, uh, uh, we wanna praise you for that opportunity. We wanna praise you for that opportunity because it is an opportunity through hospitality to reflect your goodness and your kindness. It is an opportunity to speak of your grace and mercy, not because we're better, but because we are repentant. Not because we have all of the answers, but because we know the one who does. Not because we're on top of our game, but because out of your mercy in Christ, you have saved us. More than the food, more than the fire pits, more than anything that we have to offer tonight, the biggest miracle or the biggest gift that we have to offer is Christ Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you empower us tonight? Would you convict us tonight? Would you comfort us tonight? Would you meet us where we are? And may we respond in a way that not only honors you, but may we respond in obedience. Because obedience is worship. 